I found it really hard actually to assimilate back into Australian society in terms of professionally. It was really hard. I found that I thought having this kind of piece of paper from Tsinghua was enough to get me some pretty decent jobs here. And it turns out it wasn't. This week on Clout Asia, I speak with Victoria Kung, an Australian-born Chinese to Shanghainese and Hong Kong parents. At uni, Victoria was one of the few Asians who studied English Lit and Philosophy. Upon graduation, she took a non-linear career path and decided to pursue a postgraduate degree in Beijing, accepting an offer to study international relations at Tsinghua University. Following Victoria's five years in Beijing, she returned to Australia and joined the Australia-China Business Council and later the School of Asia-Pacific at ANU. Since our recording, Victoria has joined the esteemed Jiayun Lo at the ANU's Centre for Asian-Australian Leadership. We delve into Victoria's cherished childhood comfort food, Shenzhen Bao, her most influential figure, her mother, and the challenges she faced professionally upon returning to Australia, as companies did not recognise the value of her experience in Asia. Welcome to Clout Asia, where we ask Australians to take us on their journey to Asia capability by choosing a food, song, show, and person that captures the essence of their experience to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. I'm Lucy Du, and here is Victoria Kung. Welcome, Victoria. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you here with us today. I want to start before we get into your nomination by talking a little bit about this transition from philosophy to going to Beijing and doing a degree in international relations? Yeah. So just to give a bit of uh, background or context, uh, I did Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and Philosophy, namely in Ethics at the University of Sydney. I noticed that I was probably one of the only few Asians in all of my classes. And so a lot of my friends from high school and my circles were all at UNSW studying commerce. So I did feel quite isolated at that time, but I eventually assimilated into my English and philosophy kind of circles. But yeah, there was a bit of that kind of isolation um, Mm. in the first year. And then upon graduation in my final semester, when I was preparing for my finals, it dawned on me that I would have to start thinking about my future. And honestly, the university at that time didn't really have the resources or things to prepare a lot of arts graduates. And I really Mm. hope they do now. But I got thinking and I started doing a lot of research on what was out there for me and what my interests would be post-graduation. And I thought, okay, two things. So the first one being, where do I want to be? Mm. And the second one was, how do I become more worldly? Because I, despite studying philosophy and English studies, I felt like I didn't know enough. And so firstly, I picked China 
And I thought that was really, you know, retrospectively now thinking about it, it was important because it led me back to my roots. Secondly, becoming more worldly, I think I wanted to become a citizen of the world and understand how the world worked. And so I picked international relations. So I put the two together and I was like, okay, I'm going to research on the top universities in China. And I ended up applying to Tsinghua and they accepted me in 2011 and Mm. in May. And I went in July and everyone thought I was crazy. All my friends, (laughs) I can't believe you're going to China. And I was very headstrong and I just had this sense and this deep urge to get over there. And that was probably the wisest thing I ever did for many, many reasons. But I guess that transition was really because one, I wanted to be exploring my roots as an Australian Chinese and secondly, to become more worldly. That's great. And do you think after the five years became a bit more worldly? That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) So I was about 26 when I graduated and during that time I taught English Mm. on the weekends and I also working as well while I was studying and I think it broadened my understanding of what living in China would be like did the nine to five six days a week shoved on a DTA early in the morning with like 200 other people in one carriage and (laughs) and then being shoved off like 20 stops later for five years and I don't know what I'm trying to get at but I don't know if I was more worldly. I think I went in with the intention of growing Mm -hmm. and having a different perspective and understanding my roots more. And I think I met like-minded people over there, which is really key. I made lifelong friends from the Australia-China community. And I think that was probably the biggest thing for me besides getting the piece of paper. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it's that experience of in-country living, whether it's in China or elsewhere, it's completely different to reading about it, visiting, learning about it, talking to other people from afar. And it's such a unique, as you say, experience, especially in your early 20s to be able to have that opportunity to experience and and worldly maybe isn't the best word to describe it but like you say it's that growth and really being able to find a little bit more about yourself and your identity especially being Australian born Chinese. The other thing that came to me when you were just talking just now is the kind of people that I met in my cohort, even Mm. there were people from 20 different countries in a cohort of 40. And I feel like in Australia, I would never have met them. So that's the other thing. I think I have become more worldly as a result of meeting literally people all over the world Mm. in this degree. So yeah, I wouldn't say I've become more worldly as a result of the six years, but I've grown in my life experiences and the choices I've made and being in China was just awesome and they just flew by. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely relate. My one year (laughs) in Shanghai ended up being six. (laughs) When was that? I moved in 2014 Mm. and 
came back almost accidentally in 2020. So at the start of 2020 and ended up staying in Australia and not being able to go back to Shanghai because of the COVID lockdowns. I see. And how do you feel being back? Been back? It was a bit of a culture shock. At the start, like a bit of a detox, which Mm. probably for you and many others who have experienced the pace of life in the bigger cities Mm. like Shanghai and Beijing can kind of relate to. So it was very refreshing and nice in that sense, but it was a big adjustment for me from a culture perspective and being in an environment where everyone was a lot more similar. And I was part of that similarity. It wasn't like I didn't fit in on the outside. I think Mm -hmm. I fit back in very easily, but on the inside, I felt like there wasn't as much diversity as I had felt and experienced in Shanghai, like you say, Mm -hmm. with your cohort, 20 different countries. That Mm -hmm. was probably the expat community in Shanghai and that I really missed. I totally, like, 100%. I was, like, nodding the whole time when you were talking because (laughs) a lot of my friends in Beijing, we were all expats as well. And a part of me is, like, "Mm, you don't want to just hang out with expats when you move to a new country. But on the other hand, it's hard to sometimes relate to locals because how you grew up or even just, like, the way you eat, what you eat is very different. and. I found it really hard actually to assimilate back into Australian society in terms of professionally. It was Mm. really hard. I found that I thought having this kind of piece of paper from Tsinghua was enough to get me some pretty decent jobs here. Mm. And turns out it wasn't. And all this talk about Asia capability here in Australia, and this was like five years ago. Yeah. You know, I was really disappointed to find, even though that the rhetoric out there was a lot of the big companies were kind of saying that they were promoting Asia literacy and capabilities, but in actuality, that wasn't happening. And so I found it really difficult. It took me half a year to find a job while I was actively searching. And I was lucky enough to yeah, have found the job at Australia China Business Council. But again, that was very specific to my background. So that was a really interesting observation. And my hope is that's changed now. (laughs) I hope so too. Well, let's go back to (laughs) our nominations. Why don't we start first with your nomination of food? What have you chosen for us today? I've chosen Shenzhen bowl. So Shenzhen bowl is basically like a pan-fried pork bun and it's got a really crispy bottom, pork in the middle with a lot of soup. And it's very nostalgic for me having grown up in Shanghai. It's a comfort food for me now. I actually can't really find any in Canberra. <laughs> so I have to venture out to Sydney, uh, to Burwood or Ashfield to find it. But yeah, for me, it's like the ultimate comfort food. I could easily eat like six of them in one sitting. That's a big effort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are the good places in Sydney? Where's your go-to? Um, I guess like Xiaoyang Shenzhen mm-hmm. is one of the most popular ones. And yeah. I think Burwood has 
a Chalon Shenzhen. And there's actually one in Newtown as well, surprisingly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember eating it in Shanghai. It's a very unique way of making it, if I can recall correctly. Mm-hmm. It's a ginormous cast oh, yeah. iron yes. pan, which fits... Yeah. 50, I mean 50 <laughs> about 50 of these bowels, these buns, and yeah. it's a an art form. It's almost like a dance or some kind of martial arts when you see them making it and spinning it around to get that crispiness on the outside. It, it yet, also can't be, it can't be too, like the crust or the dough can't be too thick. Yes. And so that's why Xiaoyang Shenzhen, they started out in Shanghai as a small business. Now I've gone international. And what they're famous for is they're really thin kind of dough. So you can eat more of them, right? If yes. it's thin. So, Absolutely. Yeah. A great choice. The next nomination is for Song. And you have picked Jay Chow's. which in a literal translation is simple love. I'm not sure if the English is that. Yeah, I reckon that's pretty accurate. (laughs) Can you tell us how you chose it? So I'm sure a lot of people growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s would understand what I'm talking about when we talk about like Jay Chow and Wang Li Hong and... David Tao, Jolin Tsai, that era of pop stars from Taiwan and China. And Jay Chow is like the ultimate. He founded this new genre of pop kind of R&B mixed in with a lot of Chinese instruments, collaborating with different kinds of singers. It's kind of postmodern. Yes. Actually, he is a genius. And so Jian Dan Ai is just one of the best and... Yeah, my husband and I love belting out the song in the car quite often. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are going to have a very brief listen of a snippet of the song. Now, what have you picked for us as your TV show nomination? So I picked one that got me and my husband through lockdown that we found on YouTube and that was Sanshi which in English is called Nothing But 30. And it kind of talks about the lives of three women in modern day Shanghai. One is a housewife, a very doting, perfect kind of housewife the other is a professional making her way and the other one is a young aimless woman in a long-term relationship who (laughs) can't get her boyfriend to propose Ah. and somehow the three of them their lives kind of intersect and we really loved it because it kind of shows you kind of what's going on in China at the Mm -hmm. moment and it's done very well in terms of the storytelling and the cinematography and everything so 
I highly recommend that one. Mm, Absolutely. We'll add it into our show notes for people who want to look it up and have a watch. Let's first have a listen to the show's theme song. How many episodes? Oh, you know what? I think there's like 40 episodes. Wow. It's quite long. <laughs> it's Excellent. not like a Netflix limited series. <laughs> it's quite long. We yeah. can all binge watch over winter. <laughs> yeah. I think it's not for everyone, but I think a lot of Asian Australian or Chinese Australian women will really relate to it. And finally, who have you nominated as a person you consider to have great clout? I would definitely nominate my own mother. She is the strongest, most resilient person I know. I guess she's had a very interesting life, but, you know, she immigrated to Australia in 1987 on her own. Wow. Left everyone behind in China to follow her dream, to build a better life for herself, Mm. which so many of our families have done, I'm sure. And she met my stepdad and built a restaurant, a bit of a restaurant kind of empire here in Sydney called the Empress Choice Chinese Restaurant. She fought breast cancer in her early 40s. She's kind of been through it all. And to me, she's a fighter. And Mm. now she's remarried and she's a very devout Buddhist. And yeah, she's living her best life and I couldn't be happier. So... Yeah, I would pick my mom. She's incredible. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's all for your nominations. So thank you very much, Victoria, for sharing your story with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Lucy. And can I just say, I think these stories really need to be told. And yeah, it starts here by just telling stories and inspiring people along the way. Well said. Thank you. I recorded this episode with Victoria over a year ago when I re-listened to our conversation on Victoria's journey facing pushback moving to China, the challenges she faced returning back to Australia. Her story felt ever so relevant to many Aussie expat friends I knew from my time in Shanghai. Since our interview, Victoria has joined the ANU Centre for Asian Australian Leadership. I thought it'd be nice to reconnect and hear about some of the projects Cal is working on in their mission to promote more Asian Australians in leadership positions, which naturally will lead to a greater proportion of Asia-capable individuals across both public and private sectors. Stay tuned for our special mini bonus episode next week. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Clout Asia on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and LinkedIn as Clout Asia. Thank you for listening. See you next time.